The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Thanks for joining us for this special edition of Take Two, getting everyone prepped for the upcoming midterm elections. At this point, we're barely over a month away. Joining me today is Congressman Blake Moore. Thanks so much for being with us. Love to, absolutely, thank you. A, a lot of people uh, are still kind of catching up after the summer months, they're getting into their schedules, but this is the serious time where people are buckling down, trying to make decisions, so thanks so much for being with us. Absolutely, oh, midterms is gonna be a, a big, big deal across the country too, so it's gonna be that's important. right. Uh, the balance of power always in question. Yeah. Uh, when you're going out and talking to Utah voters, what is the number one concern when you're talking to them? They're saying, OK, what can Congress do and how do we fix this or their biggest complaint? Yeah, it's clearly been inflation, gas prices, things like that that are, you know, when you prorate it over the course of a year, you take you know, that's 8.4 percent. When you have inflation that meet, meets or exceeds that, you're basically taking a month's salary from every American. We cannot have Washington economic policy uh, impact individuals' lives so much. And I think the thing that frustrates Utahns the most is that you know we we have a sound approach to economic policy here. Our our, our state leaders from city on up, like they, they they care about this. They do it in a responsible way. And you're just not seeing that in Washington. It's been so much of my first, dis first, first term is pushing back on so much of the spending, which can directly lead to this inflation. And so people are really frustrated with that. Utah's congressional delegation sometimes gets a lot of pushback uh, from the left and people in the center saying, why are you always voting no on this? Why are you voting no on this? And sometimes at the very top of the bill, there will be something, uh, whether it's for 9-11 responders or something else that obviously is an emotional issue, it's an important issue, and people need help. But oftentimes, there's a lot more tacked on to that. When you look at the legislature here, they're able to keep a balanced budget because they're taking one issue at a time and funding those. That mm, doesn't absolutely. happen in Congress. How do we get away from doing that? Because it's how, the, it's how things work if right now. If we could solve that issue, your federal government would be operated so much better because you are, you're put in these, these, these impossible decisions. Like, of course I support veterans, but I, I do not support half a, half a trillion dollars being lumped into our mandatory spending ledger, that side of the ledger. The reason why we're in debt, and we just exceeded $31 trillion in debt. The reason why is because we haven't addressed how we go about our mandatory versus our discretionary spending. And a lot of times, uh, you, you see Democrat leadership, Speaker Pelosi has wanted to put a lot of things in man mandatory spending, and that's led us as more fiscal conservatives to be like, we cannot continue to do that because we don't address that on an annual basis. Mandatory versus discretionary, you know, we could get into the weeds of that, but yeah, there's a lot of things. And there's just been an enormous amount of spending proposed this year. Democrats, when they took control of all three, I call it the trifecta, White House, House, and Senate, you saw Democrat leadership say, whew, we shouldn't have probably won the Georgia Senate and we've, we, we did win it, we've got to go big. And when you go big with economic policy, it leads to 
9% inflation like we've seen. And it's uh, something we've got to get away from. So how do so you... So I'm proud to have voted yeah. no on a lot of things this last couple of years. Voting no uh, helps to some extent, but the bills are still passing. So yeah. how does someone like you, because at some point somebody's got to fix the problem, how do you go and talk to other congressional leaders and get to a point where you can start breaking these bills down? Because oftentimes when they're passed and we have to break down and talk about them, I don't even know where to start because the bills are so big. So how do we get it to the point where we understand what's being voted on? People can talk to their congressional leaders about a specific issue and it's not this giant spending bill. Yeah, uh, fixing that again, like I said, if we could fix that and be doing single issue, single vote would be would be awesome. Uh, do you it, talk to other people about this? About there's, ways a, to there, do it? there's an enormous motivation to want to do it, um, but we, we get in ourselves into these norms and you break down precedent in Washington and it's really hard to sort of combat that. And then you have appropriations bills that oftentimes get lumped together because oh, they're not going to pass unless they do. For me, the defense bill. For, 50, for 60 years, Congress has passed a bill to support our military and make sure that we have the priorities we need. Um, that's all the, that, that oftentimes become like, oh, that's a popular thing. Let's see what we can get tacked onto that. And we do a pretty good job, even though it's very large, we do a good job of, of kind of taking those amendments and, and rejecting a lot that kind of gets put on last minute and we keep it through that conference process. So there's a, there's, there is a, there's a motivation. Um, we're not there yet. What I would say though, the way that I interact um, with my colleagues on the things that I am really focused on is, is like I said, economic policy. I put together a debt and deficit task force with really great leaders, mostly from the Ogden area, that um, have come together and we put some recommendations. And that I take to every single colleague of mine. I say, hey, look, I've got, it's eight pages, so it's a little bit much right now, but we've, we've got these specific recommendations that we want to be able to break this down. Our budgeting process is so out of whack that um, it, it promotes bad behavior and, and, and bad outcomes. And if we could address that side of it and reform some of the way how we budget, we could then you know, get into a better situation. Do you think there's a way out of it? Is it a Congress where one side, whether it's Republicans or Democrats, don't have the full control, where you can really sit down and hash out these issues? Well, I talked to a lot of people, so I'm, I'm hopeful that Republicans were able to win back the majority in the House of Representatives this, this term. We, can, we do that, we can actually stop a lot of the, the spending proposals. I think that will ultimately be a good thing. It'll be a good thing for inflation. It'll be a good thing for, for uh, energy policy, things like that. And we can try to use that to, to leverage the Biden administration to, to come to the table on things like, like energy policy. Um, but I wouldn't be back there if I didn't think that I could be a positive change. So I'm gonna keep at it. Speaking of President Biden and um, some of that change, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, a lot of people say it will do exactly the opposite. The Biden administration believes that it can reduce inflation with all of that spending. It just may take a few years. Do you agree that it could help? It just may take some time? Here's, here's um, with, with respect to inflation and policies that President Biden has put in place, let's, let's go back from inflation reduction back to ARPA. American Rescue Plan. Mm -hmm. That was the, the $1.9 trillion bill with no offset spending that even individuals like Larry Summers, Obama's economic advisor, mm -hmm. came out and said, look, that, that created an enormous amount of stimulus, unnecessary, it suppressed our workforce. That was a direct cause mm -hmm. to so much. So we're still reeling with that. So then to add on an Inflation Reduction Act, like it, it, the bill itself doesn't target how you fix inflation. Right now, there's only two real ways to address this. Raise interest rates is what the Fed is continually doing. We're seeing record in, uh, interest rates being raised, 75 bips every mm -hmm. single month almost, it seems yeah. like. And then you've got to get our energy policy in check because no matter, this is not transitory. They tried to sell us that it was transitory. It wasn't, and it never was going to be. When it costs that much more for that loaf of bread to go from the producer to the end user, 
Look, the, the, addition, the, the gas prices that exist in our, in our economy right now are not making it so food prices are any cheaper. So if you can deal with economic policy, yes, interest rates we're going to keep raising until we can kind of get that under check, but we've got to be able to address this energy policy and you're just not seeing it from President Biden. Let's talk about the energy policy. When you look at how much um, oil is for a barrel right now, it's about the same cost it was uh, multiple times through history and gas wasn't the same price that it is now. It's a lot higher. So there's a lot that goes into it. How can Congress make any changes into that energy policy so we do see those prices go down? At this point, you hear a lot of experts say the only thing that will make it go down is to stop driving or to move to more electric cars. Do you believe that's the answer or are there different ways to go about it? Well, moving, and that's what Inflation Reduction Act was trying to do is just everybody to buy electric cars. And have you tried to buy an electric car? They're like a year, a year and a half you have out to wait and a trying long to do it. So that's not a solution. That's addressing the symptoms. And I want to be someone that's addressing the root causes. And um, so with respect to energy policy, you're seeing a lot of tactics and a lot of slow play tactics right now with the Biden administration. So are they providing, are they, are they um, allowing for leases and permits? Yes, but there's a lot of delay tactics. That's why I put together the bill called, um, with, with my natural resources colleagues, that targets and says, look, once an environmental review is done, nobody's saying you shouldn't do an environmental review. In fact, some very responsible companies that are in the energy world that are focused on that, they're even exceeding what they have to do with mm -hmm. regards to regulation good environmental standards, um, labor standards, all that. Once you complete that, you got 30 days to issue that. And if it gets, takes longer than that, like you're gonna be held accountable. How That's long the is legislation. it taking right now? So it is extending out. There's really, there's a, it's, a, it's a gray world right now where it's, just, it's hard to even really grasp it. And they're, they're not responding to outreach from us and some of my colleagues. Uh, and you know we're seeing, even in the basin project, so in the Uena Basin, yeah. one of the things that I've been focused on with my team from Governor Cox throughout the entire state legislature, uh, from county commissioners. We've been focused on getting this project done. It's good, solid infrastructure. It will help diversify the economy. If you want to build more manufacturing out in that mm -hmm. area and not rely so much on one industry, like the oil and gas industry, put a rail project in there. There's so many good reasons. It supports the Ute tribe. I mean, there's so much good that can come out of this. And we just saw, just two days ago, OPEC basically kind of give the, the, the Heisman, the stiff arm, to President Biden again and say, look, we're not going to do what you're asking with respect to production. We want prices to be higher. OPEC, they're incentivized to do that. We have to be able to go back and, and, and focus on American production. And Biden's policies are doing the exact opposite. He's got the secretarial order. He's got the, the, the pipeline. He slow plays things um, all because he probably wants gas prices to be higher. So, you know, we can, you know, arbitrarily move to this, this this approach that really isn't affecting emissions. Are we doing things the right way though? A lot of, uh, I think a lot of people like myself, we research and try to figure out what's going on, but it seems like our production here in the U.S. is actually fairly high, yeah. but we're selling that sweet crude and putting it on a ship and sending it to someone else, and then we're taking the dirtier crude and bringing it in here. So the way the world works right now doesn't make a lot of sense because yeah. it seems like it, we would probably have enough oil from our own production that we could probably take care of ourselves, but we're shipping it out because at this point we don't have the refineries for that. Is there a way to fix that and just keep what we're making and not what ship it to doing, someone else? What we're doing is we're disincentivizing investment to come to the U.S. and American production. If we incentivize investment to come here, we can do it cleaner, we can do it more efficiently, and we can be the leader in this. And we don't have to go, we won't have to go to OPEC and, you know, kind of beg for them to, 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 to acquiesce into how we're going about and, 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 and you know, what their policies yeah. are. We can take control of this. The key the key with the, the climate debate, the key with the energy debate, and I see the two inter interchanged, right? The key is baseload power and how to do it cleaner. Because we can't provide baseload power with wind and solar. Is we nuclear can the option or where nuclear do you is an absolute option. 
But even with natural gas, what has reduced emissions more than anything else in our energy space for the last decade or so or longer? It's been, it's been natural gas. So, and we do it much cleaner than Russia does. Let's be very clear about that. It's baseload power and how to do it cleaner and more efficient. And if we can capture that, so carbon capture, nuclear technology, things like that that are gonna be, you know, re reduce our emissions to get the actual goal. Instead of just saying, oh, let's just, by 2030, let's have this all magically solved. No, like what can we accomplish by what time frame, and, and, and what do we need to get our greenhouse emissions to, 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 you know, to make some really positive change. And that's the kind of focus that we're doing in the Conservative Climate Caucus. Representative John Curtis has been a strong leader and a voice for this from, from, his, from, from when he initially jumped into to this role. Um, I enjoy working with him on these types of things and it's really, really important. Let's switch to the southern border right now. I know it's not the focus of most families who are dealing with inflation, but it definitely is a concern for people that we figure out how to fix the problem. For decades, uh, when you get to the presidential elections, both Republicans and Democrats have really talked about immigration, saying that it was something that needed to get fixed. I think that that kind of went by the wayside in the last presidential election, but it's still a concern. Is there a way that both Republicans and Democrats can come to the table, fix basic problems like DACA, then figure out how to make legal ways to come into the country and give people a real clear pathway so they can come in legally and then we can welcome people in uh, and be the melting pot country we want to be. Is there a way to do that where both sides can make a deal? It always seems like there's another election coming up yep. and no one wants to say yes. Yeah, that's why it's persisted for decades, right? Um, DACA. DACA, when I entered Congress, I thought there was going to be uh, you know, a, a Republican-controlled Senate, a Democrat-controlled House, but very narrow margins, I kind of thought there would be a really good opportunity to come together. But when the Georgia Senate flipped, it gave the Democrats this push to be like, okay, we've got a lot of things we're trying to figure out. And the border crisis, it happened. Why? Because President Biden took away something very simple, migrant protection pro pro protocols. That, that, that's the policy that says instead of coming in with an asylum claim and you get to just come into our country and then you exist here and we'll just get you a court date whenever we can, it says we will take your claim, you're going to remain and you're going to wait in Mexico City. We've created an arrangement with the Mexican government and this is something that I've just, Mike Pence was in town just a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. He's really passionate about this. There's so much talk about the border wall. Let's take it a step before that. Actually implementing good policy can create what's needed at the very first disincentivize cartels. And you say that we're not really focused on every single person. I've got kids that, that aren't necessarily, you know, they're nine, so we're, mm -hmm. they're still a little young. But any kid, any, any, any drug use in America is becoming rampant. We're having a major problem with fentanyl, and that is just coming through our southern border, and we have to be able to address that. Good policy, border security, and then we've got to come up with the merit-based system, and there's a lot of good thought process, but you can't do the third piece without shoring up the first two. And that's my biggest criticism with President Biden is enforce the migrant protection protocols. That way you disincentivize cartels from doing all the illegal, horrible behavior. I mean, imagine, imagine like 40 some odd, you know, immigrants died in the back of a van. Like candidly, like I haven't seen the media really criticize President Biden that probably would have been differently with the, with the previous administration. They would have blamed a lot of that. That's really sad. And it's a horribly tragic thing. My, my best friend, one of my best friends in Congress represents that portion of, the, of, of Texas. 
And it's a tragic thing that's going on. And so uh, our southern states are taking in an enormous amount that they're not ready for, they don't have the infrastructure for, and we've got to be able to address this. Are you able to call a meeting with the vice president? She's the one who's tasked with this area. Is it something where, as congressional leaders, you can get a meeting and try to figure out some of these ways? Because I believe there are some ideas that people have from both sides that might help. But right now, there's not a lot of talking, it seems, going so on. So I, I sincerely have not seen any substantive work from Vice President Harris on this matter at all. Uh, the interviews that I've seen her do, she just blames Republicans for not figuring out how to get proper legal immigration when we have proposals for that too. So I'm very frustrated with the administration on this particular thing. What I will add, George W. Bush, George Bush Institute in, in uh, SMU campus in, in Dallas, Texas, they have some of the best research on how to do that three-pronged approach, good policy, border security, and a merit-based system. And so there, there, there's a lot that's out there, and, um, and, I, and I definitely hope that we can, we can kind of come together. Uh, we could have solved a lot of this. Um, you know, President Trump implementing the migrant protection protocols was a huge positive first step. They were, they were, they were bulking up border security, whether it's increased presence with, with, with border agents, drone technology, physical, secure, physical border, there's, there's all those tactics. Um, they weren't able to get to that merit-based program, but you needed to establish the first two first. Um, and yeah, there's, there's, there's folks within, you know, w w even within the Republican Party that we've got to recognize, you know, what the Utah Compact on Immigration actually communicates. It's that three-pronged approach, and we've got to embrace that legal immigration better. Uh, really quickly before we move on to the next topic, uh, Ron DeSantis and Governor um, Abbott have sent some of the migrants mm -hmm. up to other states. It's obviously because they want people to talk about the issue. Yep. Uh, is this human trafficking? Is it wrong to do? Or is it bringing to people's attention something that they otherwise wouldn't care about or wouldn't talk about? So I think a lot of people, a lot of conservatives, a lot of folks on the right have said, like, have admitted, like, look, it is a, it is a bit of a stunt to send 50 folks up to, to Martha's Vineyard. That is definitely um, you know, getting attention. And we're talking about it. So I can't say that it's not important. The amount of, of tumult that's gone on on our southern borders and in, in, in towns like in the Rio Grande area, like it's not fair to them to have that much constant um, pressure on their system and their infrastructure. Uh, anything that we can do to talk about it and figure out how to address this is, is key. Um, and, uh, so you would support Governor DeSantis doing what he did? Look, it's not my approach. But are we talking about it? Yes, we're talking about it. So um, I want to make sure that, you know, there are very, very sincere people in Washington, D.C., on both sides of the aisle that want to fix this, and we cannot let politics get in the way of that. I look forward to seeing the fix. Before we let you go, I want to talk a little bit about higher education. Families right now that are dealing with inflation are also trying to figure out how to send their kids to school. The costs are sky high. Uh, meanwhile, President Biden has come up with a fix where he's offering to uh, get rid of debt, which I guess in some ways gets rid of it for them, but it uh, pushes it onto other people. $10,000 for some, 20000 for others. This is for families if they're filing jointly up to 250000 individuals 125000 The world's not a fair place, but yeah. when you look at it, is this a fair way and a good way to be tackling some of these issues, getting people out of debt so they can contribute financially to other parts of our society, or is this the wrong way to go? So you use the term, he's come up with a fix, and I fundamentally disagree that this is any way, shape, or form a fix at the root cause. We've seen a lot of what President Biden likes to do, and he tries to tackle symptoms. So gas prices are going out of control. What does he start trying to promote 
like, oh, let's just get rid of the gas tax in a few states here or there. That's not going to solve the root problem. So taking it out, putting it back into education. Higher education institutions need to be incentivized not to continue to raise prices so much. Look at what Utah, so many, so many institutions in Utah, and I represent Utah State, Weber State, a lot of tech schools. They are focusing in, 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 I'm currently running, and the new boundaries will include the University mm -hmm. of Utah. So I have a lot of awesome higher ed institutions that I, that I represent. Their focus, and I've met with them numerous times on this, is on ROI. How do I make sure to keep costs down for students, to get them in the right programs so they can go and get jobs? And they're not putting them through just the four-year cycle just to, to, to do it arbitrarily. They are doing it so focused on with dynamic credentialing, mm -hmm. certification programs. So look what our state legislature does. This is another example. I've actually had to deal with the root cause. We're, we allow for juniors and seniors in high school to have free tuition at some of our tech schools, Davis Tech, mm -hmm. Ogden Weber, Bridgerland, um, UB Tech, all those schools that are they make help develop them a skill. And then if they want to go to a four-year institution, they've got a skill. They're, they're earning more money while they're in, they're in college. It's a productive way to approach it. So, so I like the concept of, of, help, of students working and finding ways to, to help lower the cost before they get there. But just to just willy-nilly you know, give a campaign, fulfill, fulfill a campaign promise a few months before the next election, says, oh, we're just going to relieve some debt, doesn't teach the right principles. It's unfair to the plumbers and electricians in my district that decided to go a different direction and how they, that, how they approach it. And, it. and it won't do anything to necessarily fix the, the rising cost of education. We need uni universities focused on things like that you see out of Utah. And then the next question is the expectation when more debt is taken on by more students, will they be waiting for the next president to clear when their When the debt next too? political environment yeah. exists, like, oh, there's going to be a political environment where they're going to need it and it's going to happen for me. And then they just wait it out and then they, they stay in debt and they don't really focus it. And then there's also a clause in there that will actually forgive a lot of debt if you don't get it paid off in a certain amount of time. It, that nobody really, really so pays attention to. So incentivizes not it actually living up to your Yeah, it incentivizes that. But it also incentivizes take out more because then you're only required to pay back this amount portion of it proportionally, and then universities are the ones that are kind of going to be able to walk away with that extra money. Be like, look, there was there was easy lending opportunities for students, and we can take advantage of that by you know creating that. Uh, it's not the, it's not the right way to do it, and I know that the individuals that I work with, the presidents of these awesome universities in in Utah, they're focused on the right things. We are out of time. Uh, you have a debate coming up. If people want to find out more information, get answers to some of their questions about the time you've been serving, where do they go find those? Well, so there's two ways. I have an official side and a campaign side, and ne'er the two shall meet with ethics. <laughs> <laughs> but our, our campaign website is electmore.com, and then you can just go to blakemore.house.gov. Blake All right, just Google his name. You'll find it. I just want people to follow our newsletter. That's what I love the most. I have, I have three times as many newsletter followers than I do Twitter followers. And I think that's indicative of how we're trying to communicate with the district. Excellent. Thanks so much for joining us Thank today. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you.